The only people that know what I'm going to preach about today is me and Tom. Okay, and the only reason Tom knows is because he has to get it up on the screen so that you can see the scriptures and and, and the different things. But uh, our worship team and Billy and our our, our praise band and our, our worship team, they, they don't know what I'm preaching on. They just went to the Lord. They prayed and they sought God and he gave them the songs that we're supposed to sing. And that last song, now that's one of my favorite songs. I'm new to iTunes, okay? I'm still, I got a gift card this Christmas. I bought three songs. That was the first song I bought. I love that song. I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit today, okay? Uh, It won't be anything probably you haven't heard before if you've been here, but I'm going to preach it till we get it, okay? I would preach it every Sunday, but uh, sometimes I have to give you a rest when it comes to this. But we're in a in a series uh, for the last few weeks, and we're going to be for a few more weeks, and we're, we're calling it Normal Christianity. And if you look at our, our sign on the church, you say, well, Nelson, you don't change it very often. Well, I want people to ask questions, okay? And I, I, out there, there what's normal? Man, there's a lot of things we call normal in our world, but we're looking at what is a normal Christian. And if you've been here, we've we've put a standard there to what a normal Christian is supposed to look like and what they're supposed to act like, how they're supposed to talk, what they're supposed to do. And that standard is Jesus. Jesus was not the first Christian. Jesus was the Christ. We are Christians. The followers of Jesus are Christians. That that term came about in in Antioch of Syria. It was a a term that was used to uh, make fun of the Christians. And and it sort of stuck. They called them little Christs because they act like Jesus. Now, if you're going to make fun of somebody, I, I can't think of any other thing I would rather be called than a little Christ, okay? I've been called a lot of other things. But uh, that I wouldn't mind being called that. But if we're going to be little Christs, and, and we're going to use that word to describe us, then we ought and we should act like Jesus. We should look like Jesus. And that's, just, that's not just the moral life that Jesus carried out. That's everything that Jesus did. And so that's what we're, we're in this study. We're, we're, we're discovering uh, the things that made Jesus who he was and who he is. And we've talked about, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about unconditional love. And how Jesus loved unconditionally. He loved God and he loved people. And the reason he could do that is because he received God's love. And he understood what it meant. And he loved himself. Unconditionally. He beat himself up. He didn't heap guilt on his head. He just loved himself and he loved God and he loved people. We talked about last week, we talked about grace. He was a a man of grace. He didn't come to judge. Now, we as the church are known for our judgments. I don't know whether you know that or not. Okay? If you've been in church very long, you've been hit with a stone. Okay? But we're not supposed to be known for judgments. We're supposed to be known. We're supposed to be a people of grace. We have been extended grace, the favor of God, and we're supposed to extend it. And so we've talked about grace. We've talked about love. Those are, are two of the, of the 
characteristics or the attributes that, that Jesus just exemplified. And if we're going to, to live according to his standard, we've got to learn to love God and receive God's love. We've got to learn to love ourselves and love other people. And we've got to learn to live in grace. We, we can't just talk about those things. We've got to actually do those things. Well, today, I, I want to I move to, a, 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 to a, a place where we see how Jesus did that. Jesus was a very powerful figure. I don't think anybody would, would argue with that. Wherever he went, things happened. Wherever he went, the demons trembled and they fled. Uh, wherever he was at, death was defeated and it retreated. Where, wherever sickness and infirmity and disease were at and Jesus showed up, those things surrendered and they disappeared. Jesus spoke to storms. Okay, He stilled the winds. He quieted and he calmed the waves. And wherever he went, there were teeming crowds that followed him. And they would listen to his teachings. And, but they were affected not just by his teaching, but they were affected by the touch of his ministry. See, Jesus touched people. He touched their minds, but he also touched their bodies. And he, most of all, he touched their hearts. Throngs of people. Multitudes of people. I don't, I don't think we can. I mean, it was like Jesus was was like a rock star, okay, in his day. I don't know another way to describe. If you don't like that description, I, you know, that's okay. But crowds. Whenever he he showed up, there were crowds, and I mean, they wanted to touch him. They they wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to to just hear words roll off his lips. They wanted him to to maybe just speak to them. And so whenever he walked the streets, people would push in. And, and some of them just wanted to touch him. They just wanted to touch his garments because they'd heard that, hey, if you touch him, whatever's wrong with you, it's gone. And folks, Scripture tells us that people did that. It gives us a specific instance of a woman who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the end of that piece of fringe on his prayer cloth that hangs down below his rope, if I can just touch that string, I'm, I'm fixed, I'm healed. And she did that. Folks, they believed and rightly so that, that touching him, that being in his presence, to have him touch them, would bring healing. It would bring deliverance. It would bring peace. And it always did. No one who came to Jesus for healing, whether it was emotional or physical or spiritual, did he ever turn away. No one. Okay? I challenge you to find someone he turned away who came to him for those things. It's not in there. Because everyone who came seeking those things, he ministered to. Folks, he defeated the devil at Every corner. Every time the devil came against him, he defeated him. You remember the story of when Jesus is, is fasting. He's just been baptized. He's fasting for 40 days and, and the enemy attacks. He, he, he defeats him. At every crook and turn on his pathway to ministry, he defeats him. He defeats him that night in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays. He defeats him on the cross and, cross and ultimately, folks, he leaves that tomb. Death can't hold him. The devil can't stop him. And he rises from the dead. Jesus was a man who walked in the power of God. No one has ed had ever seen or encountered someone like Jesus. 
No one had, had, had been in the presence of a man who carried such authority. So my mind automatically says, how is that possible? How could Jesus do those things? Now, most people would answer that question in this way. And I probably would have too, except for several years ago, I really began to, to study and I began to, to ask myself questions. Because I believe the Bible is not just a supernatural book. I believe it's a logical book. I believe it's a rational book. Okay? I believe that it makes sense. Now, there are things I can't explain, and there are things that are not explained. But a lot of things are. Most people would answer that question this way. They would say, Jesus is God. That's why he could do all those things. And listen to me, he certainly is God. He is 100% God, but he is also 100% man. He's the God man. That's what that's that's the, the that's what theology, that's what orthodox theology, that's what biblical theology teaches us that Jesus is God, but he's also man. Two natures in one person. Okay, I can't explain it. I've read all the theology. I've sat in classes, and they can't explain it. Okay, but that's what it says. Boil down is there's two natures in one person, not two persons in one person. Two natures. He has a divine nature. He has a human nature. And so I, I just when I I would read scripture. I, it was always, well, Jesus healed this guy because he was God. He cast out those demons because he was God. And then one day in John chapter 14, this passage we might get to later. I don't think it's on the board now. So I'm just going to, I'm going to turn over there. But in John chapter 14, Jesus is, is giving his disciples the final instructions. And he says this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. I read that verse and I went, hmm. Jesus says that I'll, if I believe in him, I will do what he did. And I will do even greater things than he did. And I thought, hmm, how's that possible? If he's God, I can't do those things because I'll never be God and I, don't, I can't do the things that God does. So I realized maybe what I had believed and maybe what my teacher had majored on were not exactly right. Okay? Jesus is still God. I don't want you to miss this, okay? I'm going to say this over and over and over. He is 100% God. At no time did he ever cease to be God, and at no time will he ever cease to be God. He's God. But in the incarnation, he joined himself to man. And I realized that as I read Scripture and as I studied Scriptures and I put Scriptures together, Scripture explained exactly how Jesus did it. In Philippians chapter 2, it says Jesus emptied himself. By that, it doesn't mean that, that he gathered up all his God stuff and he left it in a safe in heaven, knowing that one day maybe he'd get back and he could claim it. He didn't do that, okay? That's not what empty means. Empty means that he set aside. 
He, in other words, he chose not to use his God attributes. He chose to live life on this earth like we have to live it. He chose to suffer like we have to suffer. He went through the same things. He experienced the same emotions, the same feelings, the same hunger, the same weaknesses, the same tiredness. All of those things he experienced. With one exception, he did not have a sin nature like we do. Okay? But he was tempted. And he had to make a choice. And over and over he chose to obey God instead of what Adam did. And instead of what we do. And so what I discovered was that Jesus, though he is God, while he was on this earth, as, as the gospels portray to us, Jesus lived as a man fully obedient to God. And he was totally full of the Holy Spirit. And I realized that what I had believed couldn't explain Jesus. And it couldn't make sense of scriptures where he called us to live the same kind of life he lived. Where it called us, as like in John chapter, I mean 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 it says this, the one who says he abides, the one, the one who says she abides in Jesus, in him, ought himself or herself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. In other words, what that passage says, we're supposed to be like Jesus if we're going to say we belong to him. We're supposed to do the things he did. We're supposed to walk the way he walked. So therefore, if, if, he's, if, if there's got to be something else here. There's got to be a, a, a secret. We're all the time looking for the secret of success. We're looking for what makes things tick. And so I began to dig into scripture and I found that, that Jesus chose to live like we live so that he could be the second Adam. So that he could be the sacrifice to pay for our sins. Folks, a human being had to die on the cross. But there was no human being who didn't have sin, who didn't have blemish, who didn't have scars and mars and wounds, except for Jesus. And so Jesus had to fulfill life on this planet as a man, as a human being. And do those things that he did as a human being so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. See, God didn't change the plan when Adam failed. God just continued it. And I realized, I came to that place where I realized that Jesus did what Jesus did because he was a man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He was living out the example that he would call every follower of his to. The same standard and the same uh, ability was present that was present for him is also present for us. Now, if you believe that Jesus did what he did as God, listen to me, you'll never try. You'll never attempt to do the things I'm talking about. That's just the bottom line. If only God can do those things, then we can't do those things. That's not what Jesus taught. If you choose to believe that, then what happens is, in essence, you become an unbelieving believer. You believe in Jesus, but you don't believe what Jesus did. See, we can't slice the book and dice the book and cut out what we don't like and say, well, this happened then, but it doesn't happen now. 
I don't find a place in Scripture in the New Testament that says these things don't happen anymore. Now, I was taught that. I was taught that. But folks, that's not true. Nowhere does it say that. If they needed what they needed in the first century, listen, we're in the first century again. We're just 20 centuries later. The same kind of lifestyles, the same kind of problems, the same kind of issues. Then, then the world around us needs the same thing. It needs the same thing that Jesus gave. So how is it possible? I've already answered the question. But how is it possible for Jesus to do what he did? Where did his power come from? Okay. I'm going to give you a sentence. You may not like the way it's worded. But this is true. And I'm going to show you why it's true. The power of Jesus came through his baptism in the Spirit. Okay? Jesus was immersed in the Spirit. He was filled in the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. Whatever words you're comfortable with, they all mean the exact same thing. And so what happens is most of us are terrified when we hear that word baptism. We're confused. If we're not terrified, we're confused. But listen to me, it's biblical. The scriptures teach it. If Jesus is our standard, then it would do us well to look closely at what took place in his life. If we're going to replicate his actions, walk as he walked, then we've got to replicate the lifestyle that he lived. And the things that took place in his life have to take place in ours. So we're just going to kind of walk through the Gospels today and we're going to look at some different things. There's a, an instance that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. There are very few things that all four Gospels writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record. Very, very few things. Uh, three of them will record one thing and John won't record that. They call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic Gospels. And, that, and that's because they, they basically look at the same history. John looks at it from a different way. But all four of them record the baptism of Jesus. And I want to read Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, and Mark uses that word over and over and over. Mark writes in action terms. And immediately coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Now I want you, I want you to get this picture. Jesus sees the heaven. He comes out of that water. The first thing he sees are the heavens open and the Spirit of God descending like a dove. That's a symbol. It was, it was like a dove would descend. And the Spirit of God rests on him. Okay? And I believe the Spirit of God rested in him as well. He's, he's filled with the Spirit. He's baptized in the Spirit. He's immersed. Whatever term you're comfortable with, the Spirit of God just got all over him. Okay? Prior to that moment, Jesus had never done a miracle. Okay, he had never healed a sick person. He'd never cast out a demon. He'd never done anything that we know of. Scripture is silent, and it's silent for a reason. He was in preparation. He wasn't doing miracles. He wasn't turning uh, 
handfuls of mud into little birds as, as some of the, the, the false gospels that are, have been written talk about. He didn't do those things as a child. He was a child just like our children are children. And he'd become a young man just like uh, we become uh, young men and young women. He'd grown up and he'd never done anything. He had been trained by his stepfather Joseph as a carpenter. He worked in a wood shop in Nazareth. But once the Spirit of God fills Jesus, once he's immersed, once he's, he's full of, once he's baptized in the Spirit of God, his vocation changes. He's no longer the carpenter anymore. He becomes the Christ. He's the anointed one of God, the Messiah. And he steps out in that ministry. Luke tells us that after that event, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through the, the first part of verse 2, it, it says that Jesus, full of the Spirit. Now, just prior to that, the Spirit of God descends on him. He didn't just get a little bit. Okay? He got everything. All of it. Whatever that means, okay? And it says, and Jesus, full of the Spirit. When it, how many of you, when, well, I'll just, because I'll, I'll, I don't, I don't want to put you all in a bad spot. But every morning, we have a pot of coffee at our house, okay? I drink one cup. Very often, I'll get Kathy her coffee. And very often, I, I fill it too full. And you know what happens? I spill it all over the place. Once it starts to slide, if I can just keep it steady, <laughs> okay? If I can keep it steady, it doesn't do it. But if I ever shake one time, it's, I can't stow it down. Folks, when Jesus walked, the Spirit of God just overflowed. He was so full of it. Jesus was full. That's the term that, that Luke uses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. We know that he was, he was, he was fasting, and for 40 days he was out in the, in the deserted part of the Judean hills. And it says in the latter part of this passage that he was being tempted by the devil. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and yet the devil's tempting him. I, I didn't see this, this until this week. I, I never caught this truth. But the reason that Satan began to tempt Jesus is because he wanted to tempt him into doing something inappropriate and cause him to use the filling that God had poured out on him wrongly. If he could do that, he can sidetrack everything. If you're the Son of God. Folks, he wasn't wondering if he was. Literally, you could translate that, since you're the Son of God. You're the son of God. Just do this. Use your, 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 your power. Use that feeling that you just received down there on the, on the banks of the Jordan River when you came out of that water. Use this new power to meet your own personal needs. And folks, Scripture is very clear. That didn't happen. Three times he quotes a passage of Scripture. He sticks the sword in that, the black heart of the devil and he twists it. And the scripture says that the devil leaves for a more opportune time. Now, I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. The devil dogged Jesus' tracks everywhere he went. Okay? Satan attacked God head on. And God cast him out of heaven. He repeats it. He attacks Jesus head on. 
And Jesus pierces his heart with the word of God. And from then on, Satan would attack, but he would use people. He would attack through people instead of doing it literally, in a sense, where he was present. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 tells us that after this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. So he's baptized in the Spirit. So he's full of the Spirit. And now he returns in the power of the Spirit. Folks, it was apparent to everyone who met him that something was different about him. Crowds don't gather when average people walk through. Okay? I, I dare say any of us could walk outside, walk through the Morris, Gardendale, and there'll be no crowd. Okay? <laughs> I'm just being honest. The same thing, we, we can walk through the same places he walked through. There'll be no crowds. They heard about the power of God that was flowing through him and, and out of him. They heard about his teachings. They heard about what he had done at Cana with the wine, how he turned the water into wine. They'd heard about his teaching in the synagogue and how he told the demon to shut up and get out. They'd heard about that stuff. And man, they were flocking. Why? Because they believed that God was present. They believed that the power of God was present. And I love what Jesus even says in his first sermon. He says this in Luke chapter 4, the very first part of, of verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Is upon me. He's anointed me. That word anointed literally means to smear. And just to keep wiping until it, it goes in. Until no, your, your skin won't hold anymore. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And what happens in that synagogue is he then proceeds to cast out a demon who was attending church. And listen to me, devils still go to church. Okay? They do. But Jesus cast that one out. Then he goes to Peter's house, which is if you ever get the chance to go to Capernaum, you'll see the ruins of what most people believe are Peter's house. You'll see the synagogue. You, you, you can walk around in this synagogue. You'll see some black stones. And that are, those are the stones of that first century synagogue. And then you go and you can look in Peter's house. Well, that's what Jesus did. He, he taught at the synagogue. Then he goes a couple of streets over. Goes to Peter's house. He's going for Sunday dinner. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's got a fever. So Jesus heals her. And then that evening, according to Scripture in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 32 through 33, it says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him, bringing to Jesus, all who were ill and those who were demonized. And the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Folks, I could go on and on and on. If you just read the scripture records, you see it. Jesus is ministering out of the presence and out of the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a man. He's totally obedient to God. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And after his baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit is released in his life. 
And he responds by walking in the, in the anointing of the Spirit. John the Baptist had even prophesied about this truth. If you go back before Jesus ever shows up, John begins to speak these prophetic words about the Messiah. And he says this in Mark chapter 1 verse 8. He says to the people, I baptize you with water. But he, and he's speaking of the Messiah there, he's speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, some denominations get all wigged out about that phrase. But if you're baptized by the Holy, if Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, what is it other than a baptism of the Holy Spirit by Jesus? I mean, Okay, don't be wigged out about it. Don't be afraid of of the terminology. This is what took place in Jesus' life. The The Spirit of God filled him. And he was full of it. He was full of the Spirit. He said, John will baptize with, I baptize with water, but there's one following me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John tells us in, in John chapter 3, 34, that he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For he gives the Spirit, I want you to read this, without measure. He doesn't dab a little there and a little here and a little over there. He pours the Spirit out without measure. In other words, there's no end he another an Old Testament word that fits perfectly here is lavish, and you've heard me use that illustration. It's like pouring water into a glass, and when the glass gets full, you just keep pouring. That's what lavish means. It says that Jesus gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus, just before he bodily ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1. He tells his disciples, he says to them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And I want you to wait on what the Father had promised. What promise? What what, what promise? What are we supposed to wait on? Jesus says this, which you've heard from me. I've told you about this. If you go back to John chapter 14, 15, 16... If you miss the Holy Spirit, you've missed what he's talking about. Over and over and over, Jesus says, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send one who's like me. I'm going to send one who will empower you to do what I've left you to do. So Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait until that Spirit, to the Spirit of God comes. Jesus says this, he says, which you heard from me, for John baptized with water. Now he's quoting the prophecy, okay? For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, okay? He's just inserted himself into that prophecy. You will be baptized with, you can translate it in, you can translate it by. It can be in, with, or by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus validates and then he confirms the the prophecy of John. And then Jesus just comes, simply comes out and says, I love it when people don't beat around the bush. Okay? One of the reasons I married my wife is because I don't have to worry about what she's thinking. She will tell me 
okay? I, I'm, I'm thick as I can be, all right? I just don't get signals. I don't get clues. But I understand plain talk. And my precious wife will tell me plainly what she thinks. I love Jesus because he's plain. He doesn't dance around the bush. He, he, he doesn't lollygag. He just says it. And in, John, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Did y'all hear that? You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you. He clearly declares that, that he's going to pour out the same power source on us that was poured out on him. Now I could stop right there, sit down, and that'd be enough. All right? And some of you probably wish I would, but I'm not going to yet. Okay? Jesus said, you need the power. And when I pour out the person, the power will come upon you. Which tells me that if the person, if the power is not on me, then the person may not be in me. All right? I, I know, well, Nelson, now you're, you're no, no, you, you figure that out, okay? I, I can't, I, that's, it's, that's plain. Jesus said, if the Holy Spirit is in you, my power will be there. He says, but when you, but he says, you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. In John chapter 15, he said this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Did Jesus keep his promise? Did he pour out his Spirit? Yes. Yes, we think so. We're not sure. Yes or no? Yes. yes. I mean, we, we've got, in Acts chapter 2, one of the, probably the second most quoted ver verses after John 3.16. In, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says this, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a rushing, violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, this is the New Testament fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. This is not new theology. This is the theology that every Jew understood. Every person who was a God follower knew about that one of these days God is going to pour out His Spirit. His Spirit's not going to just rest on us. His Spirit is going to live in us. When, G when, 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 when Jesus talks about it. And when Peter preaches about it, he's talking about a promise that's found in Joel chapter 2. God says this, I, it will come about after this, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. All humanity. That's what it means. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What God was saying in that passage is, I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody. And if you've got any questions, any arguments, I'm going to pour it out on the men. I'm going to pour it out on the women. I'm going to pour it on the old guys and the old women, the young men and the young women. I'm even going to pour it out on the slaves. 
I'm going to pour it on everybody. And when I pour it out, you will know it. Folks, Jesus always keeps his promise. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to see that the disciples that followed Jesus, those who are, who are following the risen Savior, they walk in the very same power and the very same authority that Jesus walked in. Peter raised a dead person. Paul raised a dead person. There were others that did that according to church history. There were those that they, they, they healed lame men. James and John. Philip the evangelist. Not the apostle. Just plain old Philip the preacher. He, he does all kinds of miracles down in Samaria. Things take place when he begins to minister. And countless other ones that we don't know their names did the same thing. If you just read the writings of the early church fathers, th those men that lived in that time instead of the revisionist writing of historians who can't understand why it, they're not seeing it. See, we write history based on what we think. These people lived history and wrote it down. If you want to understand history, it's better to go back and read the people that lived in a specific time so you can understand what's going on instead of reading somebody else's view of history. Folks, that's what's happened in our nation. There's all kinds of garbage being taught about the foundation and the basis of this nation. It's not true. Just go back and read. The early, early fathers of our nation. There's plenty. Our problem is we're not willing to investigate. We want a talking head to give us the information so we can believe it and do whatever. God gave us brain, brains to think with and to reason with. And this stuff is available. I didn't just dig this stuff out of some goofy book. In my library, this is genuine, real stuff. The early church did what Jesus did. That's why in less than 300 years, it turned the most powerful empire, power, whew, pyre. Thank you. It turned the Roman Empire upside down. The empire that had conquered the world. They went from an outlawed sect to the religion of the state in less than 300 years. How does that happen? Well, I'm going to guarantee you it didn't happen because they, they got feeling soft and had killed thousands and thousands of them. They didn't get tired of that. It didn't happen because they could argue their point of view better. It didn't happen because it was just rational and made sense. It happened because these men and women, peasants, okay, and slaves, were doing things that they could not understand. They were loving people with a love even when they were on fire when they were being burned at the stake, when they were dying in the Colosseums and the arena, they were doing things that, that nobody could explain. What was it? It was the power of the Holy Spirit being manifested in them and through them. Folks, the evidence is there for anyone to look at.
that wants to check it out for themselves. During that first century, Paul admonishes both the Ephesian church and the future church as well. He's talking to believers specifically in a certain context there, but he's by extension talking to all of us as well. He says this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word be filled there means, but be continually being filled. In other words, open your cup and let God just pour. You remember that's what Jesus said he was going to do. He was going to pour it out without measure. He was going to pour him out. Folks, if it was necessary for these Christians, the Spirit of God is necessary for us. Nothing has changed. If they needed Jesus to baptize them in the Spirit, we do too. We do too. Folks, we have accepted average rather than what was normal in the first century. We have accepted something less than what was a standard that Jesus set. We said no to what Jesus embraced. And the reason is we're afraid. And we argue. And we debate. And all the arguers and all the debaters and all those who are fearful fearful are powerless because we are not full filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's just the bottom line. I've heard all the arguments. I've sit in all the classes. I've seen all the proof texts. Okay? Here's the reality. Jesus said, I will baptize you in the Spirit and with fire. With the Spirit and with fire. And when that took place, Nobody had to ask those people in the upper room if they were different. They could see it. A crowd gathered. They thought they were drunk. Okay? It was 9 o'clock in the morning. They don't even get drunk in Jerusalem at 9 a.m. in the morning. And so, they, hey, they're drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. They were drunk. They were drunk in the Spirit of God. They were filled to excess and overflow with the Spirit of God. Listen, I know what most of you were taught. I was taught the same thing. But my experience and the testimony of much of the church doesn't measure up to the first century example that we have. There's something wrong with the church today. There's something wrong in, in an average believer who, who, who struggles just to live the Christian life. Folks, that's, meat and pot that's not even meat and potatoes. That's baby milk. We're supposed to be walking like Jesus. The problem is we either are filled with the Spirit or we're not filled with the Spirit. I mean, we got all kinds of things. Well, it, the Spirit needs to be released. I don't know what the term is, but let me just put it this way. Either we are or we're not. That's just the bottom line. Jesus says we could, we would do the things that he had done and even greater things. 
And the only way that's ever going to be happen is if we're full of the Spirit of God, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, if we're baptized, if we're literally that word, we get all freaked out about baptized, but the word means to immerse. It means to push someone under so that, that whatever they're being pushed under covers them. When we baptize new believers, we place them under the water completely. Or we're supposed to. That's my belief. If you've got a different belief, that's okay. We baptize them. We immerse them. When the Spirit of God comes on a person, when Jesus baptizes, when He fills us, when we're full of, we're immersed, literally, folks. The, the picture is of someone who has drowned and their lungs are filled with water. There's water on the outside, there's water on them, but there's water in them. That's what it means. It means God's Spirit fills our spirit, our soul, and our body. That person drowns. In the Holy Spirit. They die. They're done. That's what scripture teaches. We're dead in Christ. I don't live. Nevertheless he lives in me. And the Spirit of God begins to live through me. And we can't do. What Jesus did. Unless we are willing to receive. What Jesus received. And what he promised. He would give every one of us. If, if you just want to be normal, if you want to be like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the person who will transform you from average to normal. If you long to do what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst. How? How is that possible? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. How, how can that happen to me? Jesus tells those that were listening to him as he taught. He says, if you then, then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Not to those who jump through hoops. Not to those who pray a certain way. Not to those who walk an aisle. Not to those who, who pray a prayer. Not to those who work hard. Not to those who witness. But to those who ask. Who say, oh God, pour out your spirit in me. That's about as simple as you can say it. Jesus says in, in that passage, he says, you don't have to wait. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to kneel an altar. You can have it if you want him. He says, no, ask and keep on asking until you know that you know. He's come. Seek and keep on seeking until you are assured of His presence and His filling. Knock and keep on knocking until that door opens and you're empowered to be like Jesus. Folks, we're supposed to ask. We're not supposed to, to pursue. I mean, we're not to, supposed to passively sit. We are supposed to actively pursue. You know what the disciples were doing in the upper room? They weren't asleep. They weren't feasting. They were on their knees praying for God to pour out the promise. Let the Spirit come, God. Let the Spirit come. Let what Jesus told us would happen. Let it happen, Lord. We're here. We're waiting. They waited and they prayed and they asked. And Acts chapter 2 says God answered their prayers. Listen to me this morning. Just hear this. If you don't hear anything else. 
If you're struggling in your Christian life, ask God to fill you with His Spirit. Because you can't live the Christian life apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. Jesus didn't live the life that he lived apart from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. If he couldn't do it, we can't do it. So we ask, fill me God. Baptize me God. Whatever term you're comfortable with, just ask. It doesn't have to be a specific term. God, I want more of you. I want your spirit to fill me. Folks, we have to pursue him. We can't passively sit on like knots on a log hoping that one day I'll hear something that changes my life that a preacher said. Because here's the reality. Most of the things preachers say don't change anybody's life. Jesus changes lives. So if we'll listen to what Jesus said and we'll do what Jesus told us to do, things will change in us. And we will be able to walk as Jesus walked. i got to take a breath. I'm out of gas. I'm going to pray something in a minute. You can do whatever you want to do. I hunger for more of God. Okay, I am tired of people telling me that this doesn't take place anymore, that this can't happen anymore, that God doesn't work that way anymore. I'm tired of that stuff. Okay, Number one, I don't believe that stuff because I've read the book myself and it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. God never changes. So I know that I've been lied to. And I'm, I'm, I'm tired of a weak, anemic Christian life that does nothing. That doesn't help me or anybody else. I want the infilling, the power of the Holy Spirit to be so thick on me that when I walk by people, they know something's different. Okay? And if, if we if as, as a church begin to pray for that, I'm telling you, God will pour Himself out in us. And He will change us. And He'll change our community. And He'll change the county and the state we live in. And He'll change this nation. And He'll change the world. That's what He did to that little handful. There, there wasn't very many more of them than there are of us. They didn't do it because they were brilliant orators and, and speech makers and, and theologians. They did it because they proclaimed the gospel and then demonstrated. People heard it and they saw it and they couldn't argue with it. They were overwhelmed with it, with the power of God. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. I'm going to ask our musicians. To... For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.